Hidley Hoadley Podcast Arenas. Welcome to the Maha McCann Podcast, a weekly philosophy and lifestyle podcast exploring deep topics for personal growth and development. This is going to be the last of my sober October monologues, um, exploring some deep topics that have relevance for individuals and cultures. And in this one, I'm looking at social media. What qualifies me to do this? I've spent the last year researching the literature on social media for a PhD proposal in ethics and new technologies, looking at the dangers of social media companies monetizing users' attention and the possible solutions to the attention engagement business model that has been put down as the root cause by many thinkers and also recently by the Facebook whistleblower, Frances Haugen pointed out in her testimonies the conflicts of interest arising from Facebook's need for growth and profit maximization and then the social costs of addiction, isolation, loneliness, increased risky behavior, uh, damages to children and extremism, misinformation, threats to democracy, all such great problems to be having. It's hard to get a handle. That was the thing really during my literature review is that it's difficult to get a handle on just how pervasive the problems are and that there's on so many different levels, there's all of these changes happening and what is good and what is bad is hard to discern sometimes. There are a lot of positives to social media. For instance, during the social media crash a few weeks ago, I mean... How many other people experienced issues whereby you just couldn't organize things? Uh, Our Muay Thai class the following morning didn't go ahead because we couldn't message people to tell them it was on. (laughs) It's become such an integral part of the world economy that the idea of just switching off social media, which Tristan Harris toyed around with in a couple of his podcasts on undivided attention, would cause great difficulties to the world economy. Social media began in 2002 with LinkedIn, and it was pretty benign then. Um, It went on to be so until about 2009 when Facebook implemented the like button. Uh, This is when Jonathan Haidt, uh, American social psychologist and one of the writers of The Coddling of the American Mind, this is when he puts the real shift down to the invention of the like button and the optimizing of users' data for targeted content and advertising, uh, which went on till really came into effect around 2012. Previous to that, social media didn't really seem to have the same effect. Obviously, there wasn't as many people using it also. But I think that kind of reveals what the issues around social media are, what the why it's so bad for society. Social media basically functions by hijacking our evolved weaknesses, our drives for status, um, for validation, and for feeling part of a group. And it leverages those dopamine reward systems in order to keep us creating and consuming online. And the specifics of the technology themselves are designed that way. Um, the Facebook news feed is designed like a, a slot machine whereby you pull it down, it loads for a second, and then you're given a particular novel piece of content, which triggers a reward in your brain. 
this is not done by accident. I mean, the reason the notifications are red is because red is particularly salient because we're evolved apes for fruit and um, berries that are colored that way. So there's been a lot of thought put into this. Um, I mean, Facebook is a trillion dollar company, for God's sake. And this has all kind of happened all of a sudden. Um, that's what kind of stuck out to me a lot as I was researching is that real reflection on social media has only kind of been going on quite recently. We haven't had a chance yet to kind of get to grips with it. And already there's these large monopolies forming and they are not transparent. People don't know what's going on with them. They don't know how the algorithms function. There are American lawmakers at the moment trying to implement various acts to increase transparency in Facebook, but also then there's so much lobbying involved that it's quite difficult. And what, you know, what has this done to society? I mean, it's, if you go back to 2012, I was in college and I wasn't particularly aware of what social media was doing. I didn't have Instagram. I just had Facebook. And it's kind of made me think, how has it shaped my life? How has it shaped my behavior? Like there's interesting things like people that post alcohol content are more likely to become involved in high alcohol intake. That's been proven in a number of studies on Facebook. And how many millennials, I suppose, started using social networking uh, technologies to do that, to post parties, to post nightlife. That was kind of what it was about initially. Uh, there wasn't people posting their food on Instagram yet even. <laughs> that was a later development. But um, how much it's influenced our behavior by offering us rewards for certain types of content. You're not going to post things that are nobody cares about. And so what you, and if you're doing things and you're taking pictures of them, you're more incentivized to do things that are going to be popular online in ways that aren't conscious. I mean, it's kind of the Pavlovian conditioning um, with B.F. Skinner, where, you know, he could train a pigeon to go in a circle just by giving it little rewards as it turned clockwise, and that the conditioning just reinforced that behavior. And on what level our behavior has been reinforced by social media technology is not something we're equipped yet to deal with. We don't have the concepts or the language yet to describe it, but... Perhaps in these coming years, if I get a bit of funding, I'll be able to do that. So what are the problems with social media? What's a summary of them? Um, a good place to go if you're interested in this is the Center for Humane Technology, Tristan Harris's um, website. They have a link there called the Ledger of Harms, whereby they've aggregated all of the current research on the harms caused by social media. Um, the issues are quite far-ranging. I mean, the Cambridge Analytica scandal in 2016 revealed how psychographic data from customers' profiles could be used to influence them to vote a certain way. Um, there's people that say that democracy is in an age of social media isn't even possible if you can pay to influence You know, 10% of the vote. You could potentially swing it either way. Um, there's examples of you know correlations between social media use and depression and that for every additional hour spent on Facebook, children were more likely to be 2% depressed. Uh, there's attention and cognitive problems, stress, loneliness, addiction, increased risky health behavior. And these aren't just 
correlations, they're, they're causal relationships. The more time that you spend on Facebook, the more likely you are to be depressed. They had worked that out with a control because it was possible that people who were depressed would spend more time on Facebook. But it actually turned out to be the case that it was the use of the social media sites that caused the dissatisfaction and caused the emotional issues. Some of the other issues that are going on would be issues with children, uh, issues with young girls, body image problems, anorexia. Um, Facebook's own research, the recent Facebook whistleblower revealed that they had actually, in their own research, proven that on Instagram, young girls were led from dietary advice to anorexic and bulimic content. Things that would tell them how to make themselves sick, how to hide being sick, how to, you know, how to actually engage in these things without getting caught by your parents. And that alone is pretty horrifying. A lot of the movement at the moment in social media regulation is towards protecting children and young girls who seem to be affected by it more. Um, if you're interested specifically in that topic, there's a very good book by Jessica Twenge, uh, Professor Jessica Twenge. Um, I don't think I'm pronouncing your last name correctly there, but it's called iGen. Um, and she deals with a lot of the issues that young women have with social media. It does appear to have a disproportionate effect on girls and young women. Um, she puts it down to a number of things, the curated life problem. You're always seeing people's edited images, airbrushed, photoshopped, only the best pictures, the best camera angles, the best lighting angles. And then obviously people compare themselves to whatever they're seeing. And there's been studies linking that within even just a couple of seconds of looking at this type of content. Um, girls are less satisfied with their own bodies, are more disappointed, are more likely to be anxious and to be um, to have issues with their own bodies. Um, you can find all of this research in the Ledger of Harms if you're interested in reading more about it. But that's a very a big area, as well as things like you know counter espionage problems. Facebook being used for genocides in, uh, what is the name of that country again? Myanmar. And an interesting thing to point out about Facebook is that they, only 7% of their users are actually in the US. So despite the fact that it's a US company and that regulation could take effect in the US, 93% of their customers are outside of that. And there's a big danger with large social media companies like Facebook that in if you regulate them like cigarette companies were regulated, is that they'll just go to the developing world or to other non-Western countries where they're not regulated and just kind of do the same thing. Despite Facebook's PR and saying that they don't do that, um, there's a huge amount of evidence to suggest that their systems for protecting people, for filtering out, you know, violent content, hate speech, although that's a sticky issue, and... Um, the types of protection that they offer in English-speaking countries are very, very poor in non-English-speaking countries. And so that's another massive area of issues. Because, of course, I mean, if you give people this kind of power to communicate with each other at any stage, bad actors can leverage that for all sorts of things. And so then there's this kind of brings us to issues of AI content moderation. Obviously, the content that you see on your newsfeed seems to appear in a chronological order. That's kind of how it's implied, is that it's appearing as it's kind of being made. But 
there's enough content uploaded to the internet every day to stretch from Earth to the sun four times and back. So you are not seeing up-to-date content. There has to be a solution to the, the information problem that we experience in the virtual world. And the solution of social media sites is this attention engagement business model. So basically, whatever you pay attention to on the site is what you'll get more of. It's slightly more complicated than that with each specific platform, like on things like Instagram, it can be do more with shares and saves and comments rather than likes. That's been an adjustment. But the basic idea is that if people look at it or if you look at it, that's what you get more of. But that's not the way the newsfeed is presented to you. The newsfeed is presented to you as if it's objective or as if it's information that's being populated chronologically or recommended to you as you might enjoy it. But actually what it's targeting is if you look at the, the, the science of human attention and how attention functions, our attention is much more drawn to bad things over good things. Uh, our attention is much more drawn to things that are threatening to us, to things that we are disgusted by, uh, to things that we find morally abhorrent. And so there's a, a lot of issues with that people are the algorithm is pushing you towards the stickiest content possible. This is like the young girls with the anorexic videos. If a young girl will look at dietary content and that will keep her on site for a certain amount of time, if anorexic content would keep her on site for longer than that, then the algorithm identifies that as success. The algorithm is ethically blind. Obviously, it's not a human being. It's not making decisions. What it's doing is it's pre-programmed with an objective and then in carrying out that objective, it, it has its metrics of success and failure. The problem with an algorithm is that the success is one and everything else is zero. It's not capable of taking into account the nuances and complexities of, say, what content is good for people or what content is bad for people, what content people should be looking at versus not looking at. You know, if somebody's spending eight hours looking at anorexia content, you would be able to infer that that's having a negative effect on them or that that is festering something that will be destructive to them as a person. But the algorithm can't see that because it's just optimized for engagement. So a lot of thinkers have argued that it's actually um, Stuart Russell who literally wrote the handbook on artificial intelligence. Um, there's a good interview with him on the Modern Wisdom podcast. He argued that the, if the algorithm carries out its job properly on social media sites, it's successful if it can make people addicted to a certain kind of content. Because people, a person looking at different kinds of content might keep them there for X amount of time, but if a person becomes addicted to a particular type of content, that will keep them there for the longest amount of time. So the algorithm is incentivized to make people into addicts. It's pushing you towards whatever will keep you there the longest. And this has been replicated in a lot of studies, particularly in one on YouTube videos where they analyze something like 72 million comments and I don't know how many hours of actual YouTube videos, but the people, the users that they examine consistently moved from more moderate to more extreme content. Um, I don't know what their metrics were for moderate or extreme, but you can see it in the ledger of arms. That, pe that the content... Tristan Harris puts it that the algorithm tilts you towards crazy town. Um, it's, not, it's not designed to 
keep you in a place that's moderate and reasonable. Um, it's designed to take you to extremes because, as it turns out, extremes are a lot better at capturing our attention for longer. And I mean, that's kind of the way our dopamine system works as well. With novelty, you need increasing novelty. Like when once you experience something, that level of novelty is just, it, it doesn't have the same appeal again. So the thrills have to get higher and higher. It's kind of that hedonic treadmill, which is quite obvious. And so that's the issues with the objective of the algorithm or something I'm very interested in and the possibility of better metrics. Obviously, there's a conflict of interest that Facebook is a company and they have to make a certain amount of money and they have to, you know, meet these thresholds and that that can interfere with the uh, judgment of the algorithms. But you can't make, you know, slaves of people. That's not really a you know, a successful business model uh, in the long run. Frances Haugen, the Facebook whistleblower, points that out. And her argument was quite interesting that people would, that it wouldn't actually damage Facebook's bottom line that much if they restricted viral content. Her point was that there is, there is no need for things to be viral. That's a, a type of system that encourages gaming the system in order to get disproportionate results for, from your inputs. And it kind of creates an incentive for people to create extreme content, you know, to avoid being pushed down the uh, pushed down the by the algorithm. They create more salacious headlines, more clickbait, more polarized content. And we don't know on what level the crazy culture war and schism we've seen emerge so rapidly in societies is down to these technologies. Um, and I would say it's a good deal more than we suspect. And that's something that has to be done about it very quickly. One point that Francis Haugen made as well is that BuzzFeed actually contacted Facebook. You'll know BuzzFeed is that article clickbait website, basically, who seemed completely morally bankrupt, but uh, contacted Facebook and said, some of our most successful articles on your platform are the articles that we are most ashamed of having written. You guys have a problem with your algorithm. You need to sort it out. Um which I think is very telling if BuzzFeed are saying that to you, because BuzzFeed are a bunch of literary pirates, as far as I can tell, and will write any bullshit to get somebody to look at it. <laughs> um, yeah, the t- AI content moderation apparently is not particularly good in terms of flagging up things that are hate speech, and there's complete issues with defining hate speech as well. I mean, it's there's presupposed values already that go unchecked in terms of what qualifies as hate speech and what doesn't. There's also massive issues with context, uh, with the language used. I mean, if a person phrases something in a specific way, it could imply something terrible, but it could actually just be go pass through the content moderation just because of the way it's worded. And there isn't nearly enough people to do content moderation for the amount of content that is being created what can be done all of the research suggests that social media is bad for individuals and bad for society but also we have this other issue that it's a big part of the world economy that people's livelihoods and businesses are connected to it so you can't just go and switch it off and i think based on my research and what i've looked at the lack of transparency within the companies uh, the the lack of regulation and the incentives of the business model make it more or less a certainty that there's going to continue to be breaches of what would be considered reasonable. And, I mean, 
in the past when you had corporations doing that, it was if it, it was specific to a particular market or a particular General Motors or something makes a car that's shitty. It's it's specific to car users. Social media isn't really like that. You know, Facebook has three point five billion monthly users. That's nearly half the world. It's um the issues that result from them messing this up are too catastrophic to be allowed to continue by governments. The issues are that governments don't yet have the conceptual framework to actually regulate them because of the fact that these issues are so new and are so untransparent and that they don't actually have access to the companies themselves. And also, I mean, do we have the capacity to adapt when the changes are coming so quickly? when new technologies are being invented all the time. Like you think about Facebook's work on the metaverse now, and that's going to be a whole other layer of virtual reality uh, software that could, I mean, the idea that it could replace hardware, that you'll no longer need keyboards and laptops, that you'll just speak out loud and touch things. And that all sounds really fascinating that you could have, you know, all of the data on your phone and your laptop and the internet all in this one place that you can explore and interact a virtual world. But as shiny and beautiful as all these things seem all the time of these technical innovations, there are consequences and there are side effects for people. And oftentimes what isn't taken into account is human nature, um, that we are evolved apes and that we do have specific norms that are part of our biological systems that need to be respected by technology. And so work like the Tristan Harris in the Center of Humane Technology, whereby they're trying to create technology that has awareness of these evolved weaknesses, that has at the bottom of it a theory of human nature. Because, you know, I remember talking to a guy that works in artificial intelligence and he said, you know, well, if you just optimize it for human well-being, um, then it'll be good. And you go, well you don't know what human well-being is. Also, human well-being is very individual. It's not just a general thing. It requires the, the complex understanding of psychology, of biology, of culture, of human transformation and development. It requires an entire framework that's meta-psychological that doesn't exist yet. And we don't have that. Um, so I do worry about the evolution of technology without a clear-cut understanding of human beings and human development and i think that's what social media is social media started out as a great idea as a massive massive leap forward and has probably done things a lot of good things and created new industries and new innovations that are positive but also i think it's uh, largely maimed a generation it's made a lot of young people that are more anxious, more depressed, and more cynical, that have more trouble forming relationships, that engage in more impulsive pleasure-seeking, and that are uh, more likely to settle for simplistic moral narratives and extremism, and that that has been done as a result of a, a crisis that has been amplified massively by this technology. And that's bad for society. That's not just bad for society. I think that's bad for the the future of the human race. And that might seem a bit dramatic, but if we continue to misuse algorithms, 
and to do so without an awareness of the pitfalls. Because, I mean, I, I like to use the example of a genie. You know, you get the lamp, you rub the lamp, out comes the genie. He says, hey, I'm a genie and I'm here to give you one wish. And you can wish for anything you want. And you go, oh, man, that would be unreal. Like, I wish I had the most money ever. And then he clicks his fingers and everyone you ever loved is instantly replaced with piles of cash. And there's no food left because it's all been turned into coins. And the sea has been drained and replaced with banknotes. And then you realize in that instant that you have made a very poor wish and that the genie doesn't go back in the bottle once you make the wish. And algorithms are wishing machines. <laughs> That's kind of, you're you're wishing for something to be carried out. And there's oftentimes a lot of externalities which we are not aware of. And so social media is an example of an algorithm gone wrong. It is not the only one. And there's potential for many more. I'm very hopeful that now people are going to start reflecting on it and that we're going to begin to see regulation and innovations that are more respectful of human nature and that have a a proper understanding of the pitfalls this is all very new it it's just kind of it just happened so hopefully as we go on we will correct that and start to build technologies that are more conducive to human growth and development or we'll just keep entertaining ourselves to death as matthew crawford said uh, which is also quite possible but the choice is ours and the irony is that this podcast is going to be promoted on social media james williams points out that problem in stand out of our light is that how do you rail against a system or a particular platform while being inside of it all the network effects mean that for people to see and hear what you do you have to be involved in the social medias and that, you know, that makes it very difficult for people to speak out against it and to offer reforms and to consider alternatives. But I don't think there's an evil conspiracy going on. And I don't think there's, I think the people in these companies themselves want better technologies and they want the technologies to be better for people and for themselves. And the incentives are going the wrong way at the moment, but that there is a possibility for uh, change to occur and there is very much a need for it so yeah i hope this has been a good summary of why social media is bad for society and if you want to learn more i recommend the center of humane technology tristan harris's website and their ledger of harms to survey the research for yourself and weigh the positives and negatives and also see how as a user or a technologist or a policymaker what you can actually do to improve the current situation.